Well, good morning. Hate to break up the fellowship this morning, but we need to go ahead and get started. But I would like to, to welcome you to our worship services this morning, especially those of you who might be visiting. And if you are visiting, we uh, would like to ask you to take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you and uh, fill out that information. Uh, we would just like to know who you are, uh, that you visited with us today so that we can get back in touch with you. Um, and then on the reverse side of the care card is a place for anyone here to put a prayer request. Uh, again, our staff get these, and uh, we would love to know how to pray for you. Uh, but when you fill these out, you can put them in the giving boxes that are on the, the back wall as you exit um, um, the sanctuary lobby. But we are certainly glad that you are here with us today to worship our Lord and our Savior. Just a, a few announcements for you this morning. This year, once again, we are uh, collecting some school supply items. Uh, we are not doing the backpacks uh, for Fur Elementary and Pitts Elementary, but we are doing some supplies. And we have these little pamphlets that have a list of, list of supplies that you can bring. And there's some drop-off boxes in the foyer here of the sanctuary and in the core. So uh, if you would like to participate in that, get you one of these and uh, get the items that you can. And we'll collect those through uh, next Sunday. So thank you in advance for your uh, ministry there. Um, also been asked to announce that if you ordered a mission shirt, uh, the blue ones uh, that Garrett had, they are here, so uh, you'll need to see her to get that, uh, your shirt that you've already paid for. Um, so make sure that you see Garrett about that. And then ladies, uh, your fall Bible study is coming up really soon. It starts August the 10th, and it'll be on Thursday morning at 10 a.m., or if you can't make Thursday morning, you can come in the afternoon at 6.30. Uh, this year, the study is by Tara Lee Cobble, and the, the title is He's Where the Joy Is. It's a study on the Trinity. Uh, the workbook is $20. Uh, I, I know this will be a great uh, study for you, so if you have any questions about this, please make sure that you see Connie Davis, uh, uh, or you can go ahead and just sign up at the welcome desk. So make sure that you are a part of that, ladies. That would be a great blessing to you. Uh, our Grief Share Ministry starts up again this Tuesday at 930. Uh, if you need help and encouragement due to the death of a spouse, a child, or a family member, or friend, we invite you to join uh, this very important Grief Share Support Group. So make sure that you take advantage of that. If you have questions about that, uh, you can go to the Welcome Desk or you can see Linda Bounds. Also coming up in September, I know it's a ways off, but save the date uh, on September the 24th. Uh, that afternoon, we're going to be going to Frank Lisk for a churchwide picnic. That's always a lot of fun. We have lots of food. We'll have some games. It'll be a great time of fellowship, so make sure that you go ahead and put that on your calendar. Um, also, at the end of this service, it's, uh, it's going to be, we're going to take up a special offering. Uh, most of you know that Matt and Darian Tucker uh, were with us up until just about a week ago. Um, Matt uh, was our intern here at the church for several months, and then he was our youth intern uh, for uh, this summer. Um, and so the Lord has called them 
um, most of you know, to Locust Grove Baptist Church in Weaverville, and they are hitting the ground running, and they're hitting the ground running with a new baby. Uh, Darian had uh, uh, Hattie Blair this past Wednesday. Um, so be praying for them as they begin their new ministry, um, but also as they add a third child to their family. But at the end of this service, we'll have ushers at each exit, uh, and we're going to take up a special love offering uh, for Matt and his family. Uh, if, you, if you write a, a check, just make sure that you make that check out to, to Pitts Baptist Church. Um, right now, I would like to uh, uh, invite Jamie Kirk to the stage. She has uh, some special announcements, and she's going to open us up this morning with a word of prayer. So, Jamie, why don't you come? In a world that is increasingly dark, there is hope. I am a mom choosing to rise up, battling for my children to be all God intended them to be, believing every child needs the love and power of a praying mom, and knowing God changes circumstances when I pray. Prayer energizes me, helps me put my fears in proper perspective. It is my most powerful weapon. I choose to gather with other women to pray, because each of our kids are worth it. And God says, pray. We battle together for their school to be a safe, engaging place of learning, knowing this generation is under attack. And as we pray, God hears, he intercedes, and lives are changed. We meet for one hour every week, bringing students, teachers, and entire schools before the throne, seeking to know God better through his names attributes and character because the more we know God the more we experience his peace standing on the living and active word of God asking anything according to his will we are moms in prayer international where every woman can find a community they can turn to trust and pray with this is our time our opportunity to rise up and impact the world through prayer Good morning. Um, as you saw in the video, um, Moms in Prayer is um, an international mission. Um, this may be your first time hearing about it, or many, if you've heard me talk about it before. So I just thank you for this opportunity to share this encouraging, impactful ministry. Um, and I want to say thank you to this church for always supporting. I'm so very, very thankful um, that they back moms in prayer this mission to pray for our kids so thank you from the bottom of my heart um, so moms in prayer is a come as you are ministry we meet one hour a week to pray um, for children in schools we follow the local school calendar there are several groups in our county including my group here and we have uh, mom's group um, grandma's group led by ruth randall and uh, joyce seeger um, so the ministry, though, it's countywide. It spans from our county all the way across the world. It's international. Um, so wherever you think of, there's probably a group. Um, so um, feel free to share it with anybody, a relative across the state, anywhere. Um, but I'm truly thankful for a ministry that, quite honestly, keeps me plugged into Jesus. As you heard, we pray the attributes each week and get to know who God is and praise him for that. 
Um, and then we go into confession um, and then a thanksgiving time where we remember what God's done for us and our children. And then lastly, we intercede on behalf of children, schools, and moms in prayer needs. So um, I also want you to know that it's never too early, never too late to start praying in regards to your child's life or the process, the time in school. Um, it's never, there's never a wrong time. So jump in. Um, and then there's never been a time either when I haven't been encouraged coming out. You may come in with sadness or regret, despair, but it's always an encouraging time to pray with other moms. Um, recently, I became the area coordinator for Iredale County, and so I help moms trying to get it growing there, but I also serve this region in connecting moms who are inquiring on our website. Um, so it's just, it's an encouraging too because gathering moms, gathering together with other moms who share that burden and similar heart for her children to know Jesus is, it's a powerful thing. Um, sometimes you don't have the words, but another mom does. So, um, would you consider sharing and praying even about this ministry? Um, if you can't be a part right now, just pray for it, share it. Because um, so, our vision is that every child, every school will be covered in prayer. Um, pray as you pass by a school or as you're driving on a trip, pray for the, the schools in that county, just in general. Um, there's different ways to be involved. Um, there's scripture cards and flyers in the back, at the back table. Um, the website has a lot of material and resources. There are Bible studies. There are, um, there's a podcast, a blog, lots of things, prayer sheets. Um, there's several social media pages that you can get involved with as well. So let me know um, if you want that information. Um, on August 17th, there's a Cabarrus County and Stanley County meet and greet um, at Dorton Park. So you can come and learn more about it there. Tell a neighbor, tell a friend. Um, there's flyers for that as well. If you want to pick that up, pick one up and share that. If they run out, I'll get in touch with me um, and I'll get the information to you. Um, also, we uh, last year we worked on doing triad calls where you can just jump on and learn about Moms in Prayer, sort of what you're doing now, but run through that prayer hour in a condensed version. So we'll start that back up in August. Um, the schedule isn't made yet, but that will start in August. So please don't um, hesitate to get in touch with me. I've said a lot. I've got a lot more to say, but I'm trying to condense it now. But I really love this ministry and have seen God working in it and want to invite you to do that as well. Um, now, I want to say a blessing, a prayer for our um, students this school year. So if you're a student or a teacher or a staff, public school, home school, would you stand college students and we'll pray for you. So you can look around and sort of pinpoint these folks and be praying for them. We appreciate youth um, staff and what you do for our students as well. Um, so let's pray. <clears throat> 
Lord, may Christian students, teachers, and staff stand firm in their faith at school and in their homes. May they impact their campus for Christ this school year and witness revival and spiritual awakening. May God strengthen Christians serving in our schools so they will not be anxious but filled with peace, trusting God and encouraging others. Whether students are taking classes in person or online, may they honor those around them, be diligent in their schoolwork, and stay connected with encouraging peers. May their unity and high moral standards be their be unity and high moral standards among teachers, administration, school school board, and support staff. May all decisions be made um, based on sound wisdom and discernment. May God's hand of protection be upon students, schools, staff, and may any plans for evil be quickly thwarted. I pray that all schools will move forward in good health and safety. And a prayer over our school supplies we've collected. Lord, you are able to work beyond what we could ever imagine or think. I pray that each student and family receiving these school supplies would feel your love and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Become the rock on which they stand. Help them to seek you and find you when they seek you with all their hearts. May they be drawn to you with the gift of these school supplies. I pray that they know you are their unchanging, loving God who died on the cross for their sins. Be their source of hope this school year, God. We thank you in advance for how you will work for those, for good to those who love you. Amen. And as we continue to worship together, putting our trust and faith in our Savior. Sing this old classic hymn with me this morning. When we walk with the
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood beneath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the
Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and his grace is free And the good news is I know that he Can do for you what he's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus And let
I say and turn around, count down from three, and I'll pie whoever's won. Good morning. My name's Amanda Christian, and I'm the director of children's ministry here at Pitts. You don't get to see me unless I need to say something, so here I am. <laughs> um, normally, I stand and speak from the heart, just let the Lord tell me what to say, but if you've heard me through any speaking moments, it's hard for me to get through them without tears. So, Today's my day. Um, I'm on a time limit this morning, too. So I've written some notes that I need to make sure I say, so bear with me. I'm sorry. I'm going to read to you this morning because I want to make sure I get out what I need to. Um, wasn't VBS incredible, y'all? It was so good. It was so good. <sighs> we had such a great time getting to grow um, in Jesus, getting to know our church family more, and all these children that the Lord brought through these doors. It was just incredible. We averaged around 100 kids each night, and it was a true blessing to see how the Lord brought the whole church together to make VBS happen. Thank you so much to everyone who was involved from start to finish of VBS. It's truly um, just a, a, a labor of love. Um, this next generation needs you. That's all of you. And that's why I'm here this morning. Who am I and where do I belong? If we were to take a snapshot of today's kids and students, this two-part question could serve as the cut line, said Chuck Peters, Director of Kids for Lifeway Christian Resources. The next generation is growing up with a, foundational, a foundationally secular worldview that tells them the meaning of life is found in discovering themselves. Peter says, the pressure to do this has resulted in unprecedented levels of anxiety, loneliness, and a desperate... and a desperate need to belong. A humanity made in his image and likeness has lost its connection to the creator and therefore lost its frame of reference for understanding identity. The voice of the secular world is both pervasive and persuasive. The world inundates our kids with messages telling them who they should be or that they can, I'm sorry, I lied, I'm not gonna make it through this. Darn it. <laughs> um, telling them who they should be or that they can or must choose an identity for themselves. For most students, both inside and outside the church, the voice of truth is missing entirely as they ponder their identities. Peters and his colleagues at Lifeway Research have been studying statistics and trends related to today's kids and youth and comparing the findings to research on past generations dating back to 1920s. Pieced together, this data paints a concerning picture, one that Peters details in this book called Flip the Script. This is a book the staff's been given and we're working through currently. 
It offers some really scary statistics as we are seeing more and more children, including youth, have never even heard the name of Jesus. who have never heard a Bible story. We are clear that the gospel does not change, but our approach in teaching it is going to have to in order to meet this generation where they are and bring them to Jesus. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Our desire is to run hard after this next generation. And our hope is that you will come with us. I highly recommend that you pick up this book to gain some further information. So where do we start as a church? The Flip the Script book offers a church-wide challenge that I wanna present to you today. How do we rally the whole church around making kids and students feel known? We start by knowing their names. It may sound obvious, but the reality is that while most adults would say they care about the next generation, they don't actually know their names. When children hear their names, they feel wanted, they feel like they belong, they feel known, and ultimately, we want kids to know they are known by God. He knows their names, and as a church, we should know their names too. This this is the every kid known by name challenge. Um, our, a lot of our youth, we may have recruited some more to meet <laughs> what we need, but they're going to come down and they're going to pass out some brochures that Garrett and Leslie put together for us to take home today. It's a prayer guide with every school age kid's name on it. We want to challenge you to begin praying for our kids today as they will begin school back on the 10th of August. That's 12 great days to cover them in prayer, to get these students ready for all that's to come. Y'all, they're facing some unbelievable situations at school. It's heartbreaking the things they're struggling with or dealing with on a daily basis. Prayer is our most powerful resource as Christians because Jesus truly changes things. We have direct access to the King of Kings, and we're asking that you take this guide and pray over these children by name and then begin to learn who the kids are our students elementary through high school are in worship today some of them currently passing you out a brochure um i want to challenge you to take a couple of minutes after church and introduce yourself to a student but not only that find out something about them Put these prayer guides where you can see them each day and commit to pray over them and get to know them. Let's begin to build a bridge to reach this next generation. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't really care about this next generation, then that's where you start in your prayer. That the Lord give you a heart for his people and then pray over those names anyways, please. Prayer truly changes things and we cannot do this without you. Peter says, Today's church leaders face a challenging but amazing opportunity to reach the next generation. In the midst of an anxious, lonely, and perplexed culture, we can demonstrate the power of biblical relationships, present the gospel, and offer the only satisfying solution to the hunger for true identity, and that's Jesus. 
Stay tuned as we'll be offering more opportunities soon for you to join us on flipping the script to reach this next generation. Our Pitts Kids focus this summer has been around building a community, growing closer to Jesus, and growing closer to each other. We had four family events this summer, a water day where we talked about Jesus being our living water. He fills, up, fills us up so that we can pour into others. Then we took our community to the skating rink where we talked about and challenged our families to be true light in darkness. We saw older kids, we saw older kids teaching younger kids, kids stopping to help each other up when they fell. Our families accepted the challenge of just being Jesus to all around them, and it was evident in that place. After that, we had a Nerf battle where we talked about the importance of putting on your armor of God, spending time with him each morning to face the spiritual battles or the darkness that comes with each day. Our final event was a gym time hang time where we played games and talked about the importance of staying connected. Jesus said, do not forsake meeting together. He knew we would need each other. My prayer for our families, students, and kids is that you feel you have a true community of believers around you. Know that you are not alone and we will battle together. I have another short video to show you of our family nights. Because I know I'm for sure out of time, I'll wrap up by saying, will you join us? Let's make a church, our church, a place where people don't yet know God can learn about him in a warm, welcoming environment that connects them with committed believers who show them Jesus. Is that you? Are you warm and welcoming to those around you? Students, all of you from kindergarten to our seniors in high school, you are loved. We see you. We are here for you. And the creator of the universe is absolutely crazy about you. I love you guys. Thank you. I've been thinking about time. And where does it go? How can I stop my life from passing me by? I don't know. I've been thinking about family. Now it's going so fast. Will I wake up one morning just wishing that I could go back? I've been thinking about lately. Maybe I can make a change and let it change me. So with all of my heart, this is my prayer.
Thank you for sharing that, Amanda, and uh, I think you can see why it is such a joy to have Amanda Christian uh, on our staff. Uh, pray, amen, pray for her and help her uh, with the various children's ministry activities uh, that are going on here. I know that uh, she would greatly appreciate that. We all would. Uh, Folks, the, the praying for our kids and grandkids. Uh, you know, some generations ago, chewing, chewing gum in, in uh, class or maybe a fist fight on the playground was a, a crisis. Uh, today, they're dealing with guns at school, uh, unprecedented uh, cases of mental illness being reported. Uh, gender issues, uh, drugs. Uh, you've seen some of these reports where police officers will confiscate drugs that are laced with fentanyl. And it's so powerful that the officer, just by holding it in his or her hand, if they don't have gloves on, uh, penetrates and the officer will be unconscious and have to be administered Narcam. Uh, powerful, deadly drugs like that. I saw a video piece two weeks ago about small kids talking about what happens at school, and they were saying in their school, as young as 7 to 10 years of age, now what I'm about to say is going to blow your mind when you find out what it is, 7 to 10 years of age, that young, they said 100% of the kids in their school, 100% of the kids in their school were watching pornography on their phones. And they said in, their, in one class they were in, there was one kid that they were pretty sure wasn't. Uh, and they found out, yes, he was too. They said, we don't know of a kid that's not doing it. We don't know of a single one. Things like that and drugs and all of this going on. And so to say that our children today and grandchildren need our prayers, if anything, that's an understatement. It's an understatement. And in the church, we need to be praying for the kids that God has entrusted us with here. Amen. God's doing a, you've seen that. You've seen it last week. Uh, 
God's doing an awesome work in the young people of our church. Josh Suggs, the message he brought last week. Uh, I was surprised what a light subject matter he took on. That's a joke. That's a joke. Wonderful, deep, rich message uh, that Josh delivered. We've heard many other uh, messages like that lately from some young men in our church. God's doing wonderful things among the young generations uh, in this church. Uh, pray for them. And uh, again, our children's leaders, youth leaders, college uh, need your help and need your prayers. I'm going to invite you to return to Mark this morning with me. We're going to look at Jesus' betrayal and his institution of the Lord's Supper. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And so I realize our time is a little bit short this morning, and I cannot and will not promise that I will be. So if you would go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, please. And we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 14 and read down through verse 31. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Father, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts to understand the power, the truth of your word and how you desire a relationship with us. And so you tell us in your word about our sin and our need and you present to us the answer our Savior. Father, I pray this morning that if there's even one here today who does not know Him, they would come to Him, trusting Him and Him alone for their salvation. And God, as the church, I pray that You would help us to be salt and light in these days that we're living in. A culture that desperately needs the good news of Christ. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in 1906, Dr. Albert Schweitzer wrote what it was at the time a groundbreaking book. Maybe you've heard of, maybe you've read. Of course, much of his book... uh, Conservative scholars would say is false and faulty premises. Uh, But it was the book, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. And in that book, Schweitzer made a claim. Again, a claim, as I'll, I'll point out, I think is utterly false and ridiculous. But Schweitzer made a claim that Jesus had presented himself to Israel... As an eschatological prophet, an end-time prophet who would usher in the end of all things. And as he was trying to do so, he was helplessly caught up in a cog of circumstances that he couldn't do anything about. And he ended up being crushed by those cogs. And not really accomplishing that which he thought he was going to accomplish. Again, utterly false as you read the New Testament. According to Schweitzer, Jesus simply overplayed his hand. And as a result of overplaying his hand, was mangled like a doll in the merciless gears of history. Again, false. Folks, Jesus was not a helpless victim of the turning of the gears of history. Jesus was the creator of those gears and he's sovereign over each turn that each of those gears makes. And we see that in our text today that Christ is orchestrating and directing this whole entire thing. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly what will happen. His sovereign grace will use human evil to accomplish his saving purposes. And folks, you and I need to understand this. God is able to use all the things in your life, even bad things, to accomplish His purposes. God is not some victim of history. He directs it. He's the conductor. 
And he's able to use everything in your life, even things that you don't enjoy to bring about his purposes in your life. We need to understand that when we think of ourselves. But on a grander scale, we see that that's what God is doing here with his son. He's using the evil of men and crucifying his son to accomplish our redemption. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning, Jesus' control over the Passover preparations. The time for Passover has arrived. It was one of the most important annual celebrations in in the life of the Jews. It also took place around the same time each spring. It was a time of great joy and remembrance of when God delivered the Hebrews out of slavery, the slavery and bondage that they were in, uh, in Egypt. If you want to read the background to Passover, all you need to do is go back and begin reading in Exodus chapter 12. And you will understand the background of Passover. And then according to Deuteronomy 16... They were instructed that once they went into the promised land and settled in their various cities within the promised land, they were not to celebrate the Passover in whatever city they had settled in. But they were to go up to the temple each year within the city of Jerusalem and they were to celebrate the Passover there. Now, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, to illustrate how crowds in Jerusalem could swell during Passover, he writes that on one occasion, over 255,000 lambs were slaughtered in the temple in A.D. 66. Now, keep in mind, a lamb at Passover could be used for 10 people. And so Josephus makes the point, though some think it's exaggerated, but maybe as many as 2.5 million people were implied as being in and around Jerusalem involved in the Passover. It was understood that any Jew would celebrate the Passover, and so the disciples asked Jesus here where he wants them to prepare. And just like Jesus did back in Mark chapter 10, uh, when he told them what to do for the triumphal entry, here again he gives them very explicit instructions. He sends two disciples into the city while he and the other disciples are nearby at Bethany, presumably still at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he tells them that they will see a man carrying a water jar and this will be a sign for them. Now why will this be a sign for them because normally it was women that carried water jars and would fetch the water but Jesus says you will find a man and when you do see this man carrying a water jar follow him and he will take you you'll say to him the teacher uh, says where's my guest room and he will show you a large upper room and so follow him Now, several things. First, it does not violate the text, and it does not violate our faith either, to suppose that possibly Jesus and this homeowner had worked out arrangements ahead of time. That's a valid interpretation. But secondly, however, it seems that Mark wants us to see something different. 
Mark wants us to see that this may not have been prearranged. This is an example of Jesus omniscient. He knows who the disciples are going to run into when they get into town. Uh, but again, both interpretations have been presented. Another question needs to be answered. Why all the secrecy? Why not just tell the disciples, we're going to such and such house? The secrecy was because of Judas. Jesus knows what Judas is up to. If Jesus announces to them what specific house to go to, all Judas has to do is report this to the authorities and say, at such and such time on this night, we're going to be in such and such house. Jesus did not want this Passover meal interrupted because he's going to give the meal a whole new understanding and show how he's the fulfillment of it. And so he didn't want Judas knowing ahead of time. Judas will simply have to find out when everybody else does. When they all go together. We also need to understand it was quite common uh, for residents to have an upper guest room. And because of the importance of the Passover regulations that it needed to be observed inside the city. If you had an upper room you were expected to share it with guests who had traveled in. Now, as the disciples prepared, they would have set the table with unleavened bread, which signified that God had delivered the Hebrews in haste. There was not time for the bread to rise if it had leaven in it. Uh, plus, leaven, we know, came to signify sin. And so unleavened bread would emphasize the need to, to deal with your sin before God uh, as you partook of the meal, you were supposed to deal with the sin, whatever sin you might be carrying. Just like in the observance of the Lord's Supper, we're told before we take part, we need to examine ourselves. They were to do the same thing before Passover meal. They were to set the table uh, with wine, with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs would symbolize the bitterness of their time of slavery. And there would be a special sauce made of stewed fruit that symbolized the mortar that was used in making the bricks. And so what I'm saying is everything about the Passover meal, every ingredient stood for something. And it would call them back to remembering their time of slavery in Egypt and how God had delivered them. They would also get a roasted lamb. Now folks, little did any of the disciples know at this point the new meaning that Jesus was going to give uh, to this night, to this celebration. And so I want you to see that far from being crushed in the wheels of human history, Jesus is the one directing everything. Folks, we need to understand something. When, when we think about salvation and what God is doing to accomplish our redemption, it is not a case of our plans plus God's plans a joint effort between God and man, when, when you put the two together, it results in our salvation. No. It is God who is doing this. 
All glory goes to God. This is God's doings. God is the one here orchestrating everything, every wheel in the cog of our redemption. And so again, that means the glory goes to God alone. We can't take credit for any of it. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to check our pride at the door and lay our pride aside because it is God's doing. Secondly, I want you to see Jesus predicts his betrayal. Just like nothing so far has taken Jesus by surprise, likewise knowing that he was to be betrayed did not take him by surprise either. The Bible says here that once the room and the preparations were made, Jesus and the twelve went there. And when it was evening, the Passover began. Other Jewish suppers may take place in the late afternoon, but the Passover meal would begin later in the evening. And for more formal meals, like the Passover meal, it was common that they would recline. The meal would take a great deal of time. It was customary to recline back on your left side at the meal and then reach forward to the table with your right hand and grab each ingredient of the meal. It's believed that John, the beloved disciple, reclined back on his left towards Jesus and Jesus reclined over towards Judas. Now taking the first cup of wine, there were four cups in all. The first cup of wine, Jesus would have recited the story of their exodus and redemption from Egypt. Folks, every year, think about it at these great festivals, they would recite through what God had done in their behalf. And why was that important? So that they would never forget. And we need to remember many of them did, most of them in fact, did not have copies of the scrolls at the time. That you'd have to go to a synagogue or the temple to hear the word of God. So they committed many things to memory. And as families they would constantly recite the things back and forth to one another of the great things God had done on their behalf. What's that say to us today? As families we certainly need to sit around and talk more about what God has done. We have the word of God. We can read it. We need to read it more and we need to talk about these things more frequently. And that's the importance of church too. We gather together to talk and recite together the great things that God has done for us. That's what they would do here during this first cup. And then Jesus would have led them in the singing of a new song for their redemption, which was the first part of the Hallel, which would have been Psalms 113, 114, and 115. They would have sung sung these psalms together, and then he would have directed their drinking of the second cup. And after this, he blessed and broke the bread, which he handed to the disciples, who ate it by dipping it into the bitter herbs and stew fruit it was at this point that Jesus troubled in spirit as John 13 points out that he unleashed a bombshell he said that one of them would betray him 
Now many commentators believe that more than the twelve were in the room at this point. Mary and Martha and Lazarus and probably Simon the leper uh, where Jesus has just been. Other devoted disciples like Mary Magdalene would have, would have been there. And that's why some believe, verse 20, Jesus narrows it down. It's, it's not all of you in here. It's one of the twelve that's going to betray me. And John makes it clear in his gospel that probably between Mark 14, 20 and Mark 14, 21, Jesus handed the morsel of bread to Judas. Judas took it and Satan entered him. And then Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. And Judas slips out. Now, very likely, all of this was such a surprise to the disciples. And maybe Jesus' words to Judas were somewhat hushed tones. That when they picked up on Jesus telling Judas to act quickly and Judas left, the other disciples may not have been putting everything together like we do today because we know the whole story. Uh, had they known what Jesus was telling Judas what you do, do quickly and Judas gets up, slip out I kind of have a feeling had Simon Peter known what Judas was about to do he'd have tackled him and put him in a headlock Judas was the holder of the money bag so they may have been thinking Jesus is just telling Judas to go quickly and make some kind of financial arrangement But again, folks, there's a tension here that you and I are going to have to be satisfied to live with. God is in control here. God had even determined how Jesus would be betrayed. Judas did not take God by surprise. Okay? And yet at the same time, Judas is responsible for his actions. And so God ordained that one of the disciples would betray Judas... I mean, just read Peter's sermon in the book of Acts. God had ordained all of this, but the one who did it, Judas, would be responsible. And that's a tension you and I are going to have to accept. God's sovereignty in various matters does not get you and me off the hook. There's a tender moment here that you and I are likely to miss. In that culture for Jesus to hand Judas a morsel of bread that had been dipped in the common dish was an overture of friendship, an invitation to friendship. It's kind of like when Boaz meets Ruth and invites her to he he invites her to eat with, with him and hands her bread. It's an invitation. And so here's Jesus in a very tender moment extending one last olive branch to Judas. It's like he's saying, Judas, here, take this. You can still be my friend. Are you sure you're going to do what's in your heart? Folks, it was considered absolutely despicable in Jewish culture to betray somebody that you had table fellowship with. We're told Satan entered Judas and he left. Thirdly, I want you to see Jesus gives new meaning to the meal. Beginning there in verse 22. 
says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. It's not uncommon in the Bible for God to use symbols to communicate. Read the book of Ezekiel, for example. How God has Ezekiel lay on one side and build a rampart uh, uh, around the city of Jerusalem dis, uh, describing in, in, in a symbol there how Jerusalem was going to be seized. Or how in 1 Kings chapter 11, Abijah the prophet takes a garment and he cuts, he cuts it into pieces and, and hands ten pieces over to Jeroboam indicating that God is going to tear ten tribes from Solomon's kingdom and give them to him and form the northern kingdom. And so oftentimes in the scripture God uses symbols to communicate and that's what Jesus is doing here. In the middle of the normal flow of the meal, Jesus is, he takes bread, he breaks it and said, take it and eat, this is my body. And then he takes what would have been the third cup, blessed it, and they all drank of it. He said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The old covenant, remember, the old covenant had been instituted by blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. The new covenant is also instituted by blood, the blood of the perfect Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus himself. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is our new Passover lamb who has been slain. And remember what John the Baptist uh, said when he saw Jesus on one occasion. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so just as God had seen the blood applied to the doorpost and passed over that home, today the person who has Jesus, God's wrath and judgment will pass over. Amen? Now it's believed that verse 25 indicates that Jesus at this time did, he did not drink the fourth cup which in the normal Passover meal celebrated when they would cross over into the promised land. But Jesus is saying that in the new covenant we've not reached the promised land, the new promised land yet. And so only then when we're in heaven will he drink the fourth cup with us. In fact, in Jewish weddings the groom would give the bride the fourth cup. And we know what's coming in heaven, right? Jesus and his bride, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Jesus didn't partake of this cup here. And folks, the Bible tells us elsewhere that every time you and I celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. We're announcing to a watching world that his blood that was shed for sin has instituted a new covenant and the old covenant now is obsolete. 
A fourth thing I want you to see here, Christ would not go to the cross, uh, Christ would rather, Christ would go to the cross alone. Look at verse 27 and following. In verse 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I'll not deny you. And they all said the same. Folks, there's something sad about these verses here. Jesus has just made arrangements for their last Passover meal together. He's given new meaning to the meal, revealing how the meal that the Jews had celebrated for centuries in reality pointed to a greater sacrifice, pointed to his sacrifice. And yet in the midst of all of this, one of his own disciples would betray him. And then added to that what, what he says here, that Peter is going to deny him. He is about to do a work that he alone is able to do. Nobody else can join him in this. And yet not only can no one join him, but all his disciples are even going to fall away. Judas will betray him and the rest of them will fall away. Now he doesn't mean that they'll become apostates. Judas was an apostate. The disciples were not. How do you know the difference? Because the disciples came back around and Judas did not. But what we see here, everything taking place is fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is quoting from Zechariah 13 verse 7. And he's given the fulfillment of that Old Testament text. That the shepherd's going to be struck and all the sheep are going to scatter. Here again we see the sovereignty of God at work. God had said hundreds of years before all of the details that would take place. Folks, that is a marvelous thing about the sovereignty of God in prophecy that he gives. When he gives prophecy, he doesn't give it in such broad strokes that you could come along later and try to plug just about anything in and say that fulfilled it. There's specific things. Like you said in Psalm 22 about how his garments would be divided. And in Zechariah 13, how the shepherd would be struck and all the sheep would scatter very specific things. And what's that demonstrate for us? When God says something, you can take it to the bank. But I want you to notice the hope that Christ gives. He says, you're all going to scatter, but after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. In other words, the cross will not be the final chapter. Folks, think about this. He's telling them he's going to die. But he's going to go before them into Galilee. How's that going to happen? Because he's going to be raised. If they had any inkling of what he was talking about there's tremendous hope here 
And notice old Peter, he's quickly trying to put his two cents worth in and correct the Lord and say, even though they all fall away, I won't, you know, bless his heart. But what do we see there in Peter? Pride, pride. And the book of Proverbs says, pride goes before a fall. Peter thought there was nothing that could happen that would make him run in fear or question. You know, maybe you've been this way at times. Lord, there is nothing that can keep me from following you. Have you ever breathed a thought like that? Have you ever said under your breath, he left his wife, she left her husband, the lives of their kids blew up. Man, nothing like that would ever happen to me. Nothing like that would ever happen in my home. You better be careful. When we make statements like that, we mean well. But you know what? God, things can come into our lives that really test us to the max, right? I remember a man telling me, he said, uh, he said Pastor, what time's your service on Sunday? This was several years back. He said, we'd like to come. It was a family, it was a CDC graduation. And he told me a little bit about his background in church. He said they were once active and then his wife lost a baby after 34 weeks. She got pregnant again, gave birth again. The, the baby lived one month. And he said, we've been out of church for years. We need to get back. I didn't ask him, but I wondered to myself, had it been in their minds for a couple of years, were they, were they angry at God? Were they blaming God? My point is, don't, don't assume that there's nothing that can ever happen to you that would test your faith. Peter didn't think anything could happen with him. And Jesus said, I tell you, this night... This night, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Notice that Peter and the other disciples had trouble with all this. None of us will. None of us will fall away. But they did. Jesus would be betrayed. He would be denied. The sheep would scatter. And yet the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What am I saying here, folks? I'm saying this is a work that Jesus can only do alone. And yet not even his friends and disciples will be there to comfort him and stand with him. In his greatest moment of need, they will all fall away. And yet the Bible says he endured it all with joy. He endured it all with joy to accomplish your salvation and my salvation in reconciling us to a holy God. 
His aloneness in this hour of need is a powerful sermon in and of itself. If we only think about Jesus being deserted by those closest to him, we're only seeing part of the story. What's being demonstrated here by Christ's loneliness of being deserted is that he's the only one who could do what he was about to do. Even the disciples of Jesus themselves could not add one ounce to what Christ was about to do. And their absence is like a message to us that what Christ did, he had to do alone. He was the only one who could. It reminds me of what John says of Jesus in Revelation 5. There's God seated on the throne with the scroll in his hand. And there's a search that is being made to see if there's anybody worthy to take this scroll out of the hand of the one on the throne. And so a search is made in heaven among all the angelic hosts. And not one can be found that's worthy. A search is made on the earth among all the living. And among all the living, not one is found who's worthy to approach the one on the throne and take the scroll. And so a search is made under the earth, that is, all of those who have died. Anybody who's ever lived and died, a search is made. Is there even one worthy who can take the scroll? There's not even one. Nobody. And John begins to weep. And then he's told, don't weep. There is one. And John looks and sees a lamb looking as if it has been slain. And he's able to go to the one on the throne and take the scroll. He alone could do it. He alone is worthy. And we see a reminder of that here. Jesus is alone in his work of redemption. But he had to be alone. Because only he is worthy. Only he could do what had to be done. So that you and I might have life. Some lessons I want to leave you with. Jesus was not a tragic figure as some have suggested. But a triumphant figure as the Bible proclaims. He's the Son of God and His death on the cross was the power of God at work dealing with sin. Secondly, everything about the earthly life of Jesus was carefully orchestrated by God from His birth to His betrayal and crucifixion. This was God's plan of dealing with sin. Thirdly, Jesus instituted the new covenant in his blood. God is not dealing with mankind any longer on the basis of the old covenant. Fourth, as the Jews celebrated the Passover meal, Christians today celebrate the Lord's Supper. Recognizing the symbolism in it tells the story of our deliverance and salvation. 
You see, folks, as we read about the Passover meal from Exodus 12, we might be tempted to to think, I wish we had a story like that to see in a meal. I wish we had something like the Jews had in Exodus 12 in a meal, a message in a meal. And folks, we do. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's a message of our deliverance through Christ. The blood of the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb. That's the story we celebrate together every time we partake of the Lord's meal together. It's a message of redemption and freedom that we're celebrating. How God has done for us in Christ what only He could do. And then lastly, only Christ alone could accomplish what he did for us. Sadly, his friends deserted him, but this illustrates for us in a powerful way how he was the only one who could do what he was about to do. I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? He's the only one worthy There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Do you know him? If the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart, convicting you of your sin, drawing you to Christ, don't delay another moment. I'll be here to pray with you this morning, as the other pastors will. Come confessing Christ and taking a public stand for Him. And Christians who've already come to Christ, I want you to remember something. Again, there is no pride in what we can offer. It's all because of Him. All because of His amazing grace. And you know what? He invites us to get involved in this message of good news to tell those around us and indeed to tell the nations that there's a Savior and through Him you can have life. Are you telling that story? Who is it in your life that needs to hear that story?